Well, good morning. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, praise team this morning for leading us in a worship through song. Didn't they do an amazing job today? Absolutely. Yeah, I remember like it was yesterday, and in fact, it was a little over 20 years ago. Uh, it was interviewing uh, different uh, people for a new uh, staff position here at the church. It was going to be the uh, pastor secretary at the time. And so I interviewed uh, several different uh, people and kind of laying out them, the, the great horrors that lied before, before them, you know, to take on that position. Uh, but after um, interviewing with several, uh, uh, there was one in particular uh, that, I, that I shared with. Uh, and even after telling her how little we were going to pay her, how hard we were going to work her, uh, how underappreciated she'll end up being, uh, yet Malia Freeman still took the position, and this week we'll celebrate 20 years here at Northside. Amen. Come on up. Just in case not everybody can put a face with the name together, but uh, this week, this coming week, Malia will celebrate her 20th anniversary here at Northside, and her and Randy have just been so faithful here at the church. Uh, Malia began as a pastor secretary, uh, but then took on all of our membership, uh, keeping everything we have membership related, which is a lot, uh, completely organized as well as our prayer ministry, and just speaks to her heart and her concern. I know that she has such a passion to see each and every person in this church, whether you come in as a member uh, or a guest for the first time, but to see you connected uh, to the body and especially through connect groups, but also to our Lord. And Malia is just a small token of our thanks and appreciation to you. We would just have a small gift for you and Randy. That will never be enough, but we want to know how much we love and appreciate you. We will jump in this morning. I, um, yeah, every, every week I always have more here than I have more back there on that clock, right? I always have far more notes than I have time. Uh, but I got to be honest with you, today is just ridiculous, all right? So I'm going to do my best, okay, uh, to stay with it. But kind of get us caught up. You know, we've uh, been studying through Genesis together as a church. You have your own reading plan that hopefully you're following, and, and I'm just kind of lagging behind you a little bit here. Uh, but kind of get you on, on a catch-up. Uh, for the past couple weeks specifically, uh, we've been looking at the corruption of man and how wicked man had become, and because of that then, uh, ushered in God's judgment through the flood. And we saw in that that when Noah was 480 years old, it was then that God called him to build this great ark. When he was 500 years old then, he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth, not at the same time, but after he was 500 years old. Noah was then 600 years old when God called him and his family, to, if you recall, to come into the ark, that is, that, that place that God was for safety and security. Seven days later then, God closed the door of that ark so that they would be safe inside. And after seven days then of being in that ark, on the four, on, uh, for 40 days and 40 nights, then an unfathomable rain came upon this earth. And really not just rain, but it says not only did uh, the, the water come from above in the sky, but also from the depths below. It was coming from above and below to the amount of 30 feet per hour, 40 days and 40 nights. After another 110 days then, as the, the water began to recede, uh, the, the ark then rested on the mountains of Ararat. 
74 days later, then the, the tops of the mountaintops became visible to Noah and his family. 40 days later, then, he sent out a raven that returned to the ark. And seven days after that, he sent out a dove, and it also returned. Seven days later, he sent out another dove, and this time it returned, but this time with a leaf. And seven days later, then, another dove is sent out, and that dove did not return. So finally, then, after 377 days, now the earth was, was dry, and God commanded Noah, his family, and all the animals to exit, to, to leave the ark. And then we have in chapter 8 in verse 21 where God says, Never again will I curse the ground because of the sin of man. And in chapter 9 in verse 3 then, it is then that mankind is introduced to a carnivorous diet, right? Man can now eat anything and everything. Today we call that a hot dog, right? Uh, just anything and everything. One little tube right there, right? Uh, but, 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 but you can't. Hey, you can have it all. Remember Genesis chapter 1, 29 and 30. Uh, man and, and animal both were created as vegetarians but now they could eat even the flesh of animals in chapter 9 in verse 11 then god made a covenant that he would never again wipe out man by means of a flood and then to, to seal that in verse 13 god placed a rainbow in the sky as a symbol an expression of the covenant that he had now made with man through noah and you get through all that and you think okay now certainly after all of this I mean, after everything we've read and studied through Genesis so far, surely now these animals come off the ark. Man, they're just ready to stretch themselves, right? The, the, the people are coming off, right? And after seeing how God had delivered them and them alone with, 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 with so many people on this earth who perished, and yet God choosing to deliver them, surely now man will live a righteous life forever. Well, let's find out. Chapter, Genesis chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 18 this morning. You can turn in your Bibles or in the church app. The text is there also. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Noah, as a man of the soil began by planting a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem, Japheth, Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both of their shoulders. And walking backward, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to all his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Let God extend Japheth. Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be Shem's slave. Now, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So, Noah's life lasted 950 years. Then, he died. Now, here we go. Right after everything that Noah had, had experienced, righteous Noah, right? After all of this, even righteous Noah fell to the temptation of indulgence, right? Even he. 
I mean, of all the people, the reason he was saved and his whole family was because God said, I have found that you are righteous. But even Noah falls victim to temptation, to sin. Now, let me point out a few things. While this is the first time that we see both the words wine and drunkenness in the Bible, it certainly wasn't the first occasion for drunkenness, right? I, I do not believe that it was Noah who at this point invented the fermentation process, right? And in fact, if you remember last week, I shared a quote, uh, Matthew quoting Jesus in Matthew 24, 38, when Jesus said this, for in those days before the flood, they, talking about the people that lived in that time, were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. Now, certainly you say, well, they could have been drinking anything. Well, they could have been, but what was he speaking into? The debauchery of man at that time. And how they were just, man, they were having a party in the days as Noah was building that ark, just living it up the whole time. Noah was saying, you need to repent. You need to, to come into this boat. And so certainly we saw that even then. And it's interesting to me because if, if you notice, Adam and Eve, they were tempted by the fruit of the tree. Do you remember that? The fruit of the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Noah here, he's tempted by the fruit of the vine. And with that, we see with the, with the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to, to become more like God is the way Satan tempted them. It, it, it was that fruit from God. But now we see the fruit of the world. Uh, worldliness is what was tempting Noah at this time. And so from the very beginning, I mean, from creation, I mean, here I had them and Eve, they, they had it made, remember? Uh, naked together, no kids, no, I mean, just had it made. And yet they sinned. And immediately after them, we see where, where Cain, their son, kills his own brother. And by the time we get to Noah, it says that mankind was, uh, was so amok, right, that every thought of, that they had was wicked. And now, even righteous Noah. Now, certainly, when we look at this story, Noah didn't intend to get drunk, right? I feel confident that wasn't his intention, but it was the outcome, right? And what he did is he, he stepped onto that slippery slope and then allowed Satan an opportunity. Very much like the story of Eve in the garden. You remember, she, she was at that tree, and it is there that Satan tempted her with that fruit. When, when she could see that fruit, when she could touch, <laughs> pluck that fruit, and then ultimately eat that fruit. Right? And likewise with Noah, he puts himself in a place. He steps out onto that slippery slope, and as he does, he fails. Now, I'm not going to camp here, but I do want us to take notice. I want us to take notice of the danger, take notice of the failure of even a righteous man like Noah. And parents, I will say this, be on guard. Be on guard, because listen, what you excuse in moderation, your children may excuse in excess. Consider the things in your life that are opening that door, that opportunity to Satan. Noah was a righteous man, but he opened a door. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. When you open a door for Satan, you can mark this down. He'll come in every time. Satan, if nothing else, is opportunistic. You give him an opportunity... He'll take it. And, and, and then comes after this and after, after Noah makes this mistake, this, this weird experience, all right, uh, to say the least, uh, with, with his son, Ham. 
And then we get this picture. We don't get all of the details that, that has taken place, but we have to uh, assume some that are there. But obviously, uh, as Noah had, 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 had drunk himself into a place where it likely was passed out there and, and didn't even know who was coming or going, his son Ham enters in. Now, what you need to understand is this time, that would have been beyond taboo. It would have been absolutely wrong for one man to look on another man's nakedness, let alone the patriarch of the family. And so Ham, yeah, you have this kind of, um, uh, this comparison of him and his other brothers who obviously were more righteous and responded accordingly. But Ham goes in, he, the, the text there says not only did he, did he it wasn't like, oh, I saw something I wish I hadn't seen it and walked out, but he looked at it. Uh, if some, uh, some people even believe that possibly Canaan, his son, was with him at the time possibly even mocking him. And certainly then he goes out after looking on his father and goes and tells his brothers about what he was see, has seen, likely encouraging them to, to go in and have a laugh as well. But it's Canaan, I want you to notice, who's cursed here, not him. And you say, well, why would that be? Why the, I mean, of all of his sons too, Canaan was the youngest son. And there's several things that, that I want us to understand here. First of all, remember that it's Moses who's writing Genesis. He likely would have written the book of Genesis during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It was at that point he, he knew about the inhabitants of Canaan, the promised land, right? He knew that the Canaanites were, were pagan, godless people. But beyond that, it's important for us to see that only Canaan was cursed because there are people, even to this day, that feel like all of the Hamitic or the Hamites, if you will, all of the descendants of Ham were cursed. And there are still those nationalities in our world today, but you don't run into Canaanites, do you? You ever run into somebody, hey, where are you from, Canaan? Anybody? No, why? Because they're gone. <laughs> they, they, they've been wiped out, right? And so it's important for us to understand, that, to understand that and not fall into that camp that there are still people falling under the curse today. And we're going to look at that in further detail later. But only Canaan. We also have to kind of assume from the text that, that Canaan was a very godless person himself, as we saw the characteristics of his own father also. So, it always brings up that question about the generational curses, right? So, so we see these curses of, of children and, and families. And Does God curse children for their parents' mistakes? And the answer to that is no. no. Say that with some, with some passion. No. no, God does not do that. We do not see that. But if, if you recall where people primarily get this, the text they look at is Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 is that time when God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses to, to give to the people there on Mount Sinai. And he says this in the first six verses. God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters underneath the earth. Do not bow down and worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen, punishing the children for their father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, this, of course, is the first two commandments uh, that, Noah, that, excuse me, that Moses was given by God. 
And in these first two commandments, he's reminding the people that he will take a backseat to no one and nothing. Period. In fact, if you get the first two commandments right, you don't have a problem with any of the other eight, right? At all. And that's what he's saying. Listen, I will take a backseat to no one. He said, well, what's all that in verses 5 and 6 there then about punishing the kids? And, but what he, God is reminding us here is that he loves us so much and, and he doesn't want anything to come between us, so he's jealous. He is jealous. God loves us so much when he sees us putting things in our life that, that we would say, yes, that's my God, or things that come before the, 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 the appropriate place that he and he alone belongs. God is jealous. And he's jealous because he loves us. In verse 6 there, notice what it said. It said, but showing faithful love, what? To a thousand generations of those who love me. Those who hate me, there's going to be several generations. Not only will the parents hate me, but so will their kids and their grandkids. But to those who love me, thousands of generations. Listen, God's wrath is real. And don't you dare ever come to a place where you think, I just believe God loves everyone and everyone. Hey, God's wrath is real. But his wrath is real because his love is real. And I think I've said that before. Listen, that's what exposes wrath is love. Right? If you hurt one of my children whom I love, I'm a pretty nice guy. But I promise you'll see my wrath. Why? Because of how much I love them. Right? When we see that played out with God, his wrath exposes his love. And his love is far greater. And when Adam and Eve sinned, yes, they were banished from the Garden of Eden. Correct? But God did that to protect them. Right? They were now under the curse of sin. He didn't want them also to eat from the tree that would give them eternal life. So we saw God's love, even Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve, after they sinned. When Cain murdered his brother, yes, he was banished. But do you remember? He said, God, this is just too much. I can't take this. And God still not only allowed him to live, but even put a protection on him that his uh, relatives would not murder him in return. And when the entire world was corrupt, that we looked at the last couple weeks, in the face of all that, of everybody just hating on God, he still chose Noah and his family. He still chose that ark and the animals that would go on. He still showed his love. And the punishment, by the way, of the children is really a warning. Remember, it was the parents who were receiving the Ten Commandments. And it was a warning to them. Listen, if you hate me, so will your kids and your grandchildren. That's what it was. And so we see that, I believe, played out with Noah here. I mean, Noah sinned. Ham sinned even greater. And from everything we understand, Canaan even far more than his father or grandfather. And so what God says, listen, parents, get this. If you hate me, so will your kids. If you don't live for me, neither will they. Oh, but if you love me. Oh, if you will commit yourself, so will they. For a thousand generations. I, I bring this out every time I get into the generational curse. Thing, but Ezekiel chapter 18, the first four verses. God speaking through the, uh, the prophet Ezekiel says this. What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and their children's teeth are set on edge meaning that they taste the bitterness, right? As I live, this is the de declaration of the Lord God, you will no longer use this proverb in Israel. Look, every life belongs to me. The life of the Father is like the life of the Son. Both belong to me. And the person who sins, that is the one who will die. 
you got to take responsibility for your own sin. Right? That's what he's saying here. That's what we see not only in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? There's a price to pay for your sin. And friends, Jesus paid the price for you. We are not under a curse when we're saved by grace. Well, we keep reading in Genesis chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Now, the rest of chapter 10, or I'm just going to be honest with you, it reads like a Hebrew phone book. All right, really. Uh, you know, just kind of late. Oh, by the way, and a phone book is a, it's a big book they used to give out, and it had like alphabetized names, last name first, first name last by, by region, and it would tell you their names and who the address and what to call them. That'll come into play more in the second service as well, but um, that's kind of the way it reads out, right? It's just uh, all the different generations and people. But what's interesting, if you remember in chapter 6 and verse 9, I said this is the account of Noah, and here now in 10, now we have the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And you remember in, in verse 19 of chapter 9, it said, from them the whole earth was populated. Eight people came off that ark. A six then would have children. Actually, just three, the ladies, but they, you know, you know how that works together with, with couples, right? So let's call it six, right? Only six then, from, the, from those three men and their wives, would the entire world be populated. Did you know, I, I don't have time to get real deep into it today, but there have been studies that trace all the mitochondria DNA back to three nodes, which would be the, the wives of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem obviously became the, the father of the Jews, the Arabs and the Persians, the Semitic people even today. Ham became the father of the Egyptians, Ethiopians, and the Canaanites who, who lived where uh, Israel is today, the Hamitic people. And which is why I said there are those that believe that there are still the descendants, the Hamitic people who are under a curse. And that's not true because it was only the Canaanites. And then thirdly, Japheth, who was the father of the Greeks, the, the people who lived uh, in the islands of the sea and who settled eventually in Europe and in what is known as Russia, the Japhetic people. But from, from these three men and their wives, then, we have all of the nations. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, Luke wrote this, from one man. Now, I do believe that is speaking to Adam. But certainly only one man, Noah, was saved in his descendants as well. From one man, he has made every nationality to live under the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and their boundaries where they shall live. Revelation 7, 9 tells us this, that, that before the throne of the Lamb of God, the nations are gathered. Repeatedly, we, we see men being classified, men being referred to as nations, did you know it was an evolutionist, Charles Darwin, who first introduced the idea of races by the color of your skin? It is. It's an evolutionary idea. It was Charles Darwin that ushered that idea, and that, that people were different because of the color of their skin. And what he did then, he grouped the nations uh, into white, yellow, black, and aboriginal, right? Then what he did from those, what he referred to as races, he classified the ones that were less evolved than the others. It led to horrific acts, horrific acts of the aboriginal uh, people of Australia. And the way they were treated is that, that missing link, if you will. 
But it was an evolutionist, Charles Darwin, who ushered that in. Remember, God, he saved pairs of all the different kinds of animals and kinds of creatures that crawl on the ground and kinds of birds that fly in the air. But when it came to man, there's only one kind. He didn't save different races. He, he didn't bring different races and, and different colors. There's only one race. Friends, that's the human race, period. There's one race, and we're it. And there's one problem in this world, and that is sin. It's that evolutionary idea that, that, that ushered in the horrific act of racism into our world that we still see even today. He said, well, how do so many different people groups, how, how are there so many different groups, and why do people look different and act different and talk different? Well, first of all, we look at the, the DNA strands, of course, from the, the wives of Noah. But secondly, just like the animals, remember God uh, brought in a pair uh, according to kinds, but when it came to the dog, he didn't tall and short ones, so just dogs, right? And then as they were scattered along the earth and as they lived in different climates and, and regions and, uh, and surroundings, they adapted to that, and, and, and they continued to breed. Well, this certainly also happened with the people as well, as the people then were scattered throughout the world. And let's look at that in chapter 11. Beginning verse 1, the whole earth then had one language, the same language and the same vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make oven-fired bricks. Parenthetically, then it says they used the bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The humans, did you get that? That, that human, that, that, that single race that God had created. That, that, that the humans then were building at that time. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout all the earth. Now, that, that place, Shinar, it would be modern-day Iraq today. That's the region that, uh, that, that they would be speaking of. And you read this text, I don't know about you, but, but for me, when I first read it, you think, well, man, that seems kind of, I mean, it seems like the people were in unity. They're all working together. They're, all, they're on a project. They're, they're making progress. Kind of seems like a good thing, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like that. Isn't that what we want? We want to be unified. We want to uh, progress together. But here's the thing. Remember, God knows the heart. He knows the intentions and why they were building this. And, and of course, that's even played out in Scripture. And so we see once again where the, the heartbeat of man was to defy God and ultimately be equal with God. And that's the way it's been from the beginning. Remember Satan, when he fell? He fell because he wanted to be equal with God. And apparently a third of the other angels that he took with him had that same idea. They, they wanted to be equal with God, right? After that then, Adam and Eve were tempted what? That same way. Hey, God doesn't want you to have this because you'll be like him if you do. And it was after hearing that they could be like God that they took the fruit and ate it. You can be like God. And now 
we see this what appears to be the entire population. They all wanted to work together. They all wanted to be like God. And, okay, and can I say this too? And when we say things, because I hear this from Christians a lot when it talks about like Noah's Ark or, or we see it here with the, with the Tower of Babel. We say things like, you know, Noah could never do that. These people, they just weren't advanced enough to do that. You know what you're saying when you say that? They're not as evolved as, as we are today. You know, and what an awful statement that is. One, we don't believe in evolution. Two, the truth is, Noah was incredibly advanced. I don't think we've reached the level that he has yet. Remember, he, he lived 950 years, right? And we can't figure out how he did. That's the reason we say that. Well, it's just impossible. Why? Because we don't understand how he did it. There's a lot of things in this world I don't know. I don't understand how this thing works. Like, I, I can put in a number right now, and, and I can call the bell right now if I want to. And their phone will ring. I don't understand how that works, but I know it does, right? And, and so when we get to things in the Bible, we say, well, since we can't understand that, and what we're saying is because we're so evolved, far more than, than Noah possibly could have been. But I want you to think back. All right, this, this happened probably about 100 years after the catastrophic flood. Right? It's believed it was the year uh, 2242 B.C., uh, but about 100 years after the flood. And here we see them constructing a load-bearing structure that was going to reach the sky. Now, you think about that. You go back just a little over 100 years in America today. Did you know just over 100 years ago was the first passenger flight in America? The first one. And it went a whopping 17 miles. That's how far we've come. Color movies were just coming out. A horse and buggy was still a common a mode of transportation. Women were marching for voting rights. And indoor plumbing was something only for the wealthy and the elite. Oh, and by the way, TVs didn't even exist yet, right? Now, you think about how far we have come in 100 years. Man lives 950, he's going to figure something out, amen, right? But this structure then that they're building, uh, they're, they're still, uh, they, they believe it was what is known as a ziggurat. A zi and in fact, I have a picture of one also. Uh, there it is. It's been unearthed in the Middle East, and they discovered it, and, and they've actually done, obviously, some restoration there. That represents, by the way, one of what they believe was 10 levels of this ziggurat. And those little things you see there up at the top center, those are grown men archaeologists who are working at that. So, I mean, imagine 10 levels of that. And that's what it, they believe was the Tower of Babel. Babel, of course, the reason we refer to that, the word Babel just means confusion. And God came down and confused their language. And we see that in verse 7. It says, let's go down there. Now, the CSB there uses a contraction, right? And I wish they didn't. Right? But, but they do, and, and other translations mostly uh, don't. But it's two words put together, let us. Let us go down and scatter them. Let us go down and confuse their language. It, 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 and so what we see is the plurality there even at that time. You remember back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26? It says, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And I said then, the, that word for God is Elohim. It's a plural word with a singular meaning. Now, Jews, in that, they, they couldn't have understood God being more than one person, nor would they even stand for someone to say that. We today understand the Trinity. But, but it's that, that plural sense, that let us go down and scatter and confuse them. And you think, well, what was that all about? 
Like, I mean, here again, they got a good project going along. Everybody's getting along. I mean, come on, right? Uh, can you imagine a project of that scope today and everybody getting along and working together? I mean, it wouldn't happen, right? And, and yet that was. Why is it? Was God just, you know, kind of bored after the flood and everything? So let's go mess with them a little bit. We'll scatter them around, give them some language to see how they do this. No. What he was doing here was, and what he said was, listen, as long as they have one, one language, as long as they are working together, as long as they never leave this place, they're never going to see a need for me. And he understood the wages of sin. He understood their heart. And so he said, we must go down and scatter and confuse them. You know, that still happens today too, doesn't it? I mean, when we're building our own towers... Man, when, when things are good, when, hey, this is what I'm working towards, every once in a while, we need to be confused. Every once in a while, we need to get scattered a little bit, don't we? Why? Because what happens when we do, we begin to remember how much we need God. Hey, when things are perfect, when everything's great, when the doctor says it's a perfect bill of health, uh, when the checkbook looks better than it ever has, we look at ourselves, don't we? Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. I'll tell you what, though, we get sick. We lose a job. Oh, we, have, we have some kind of uh, issue in our family. And what do we do? We turn to God. You've got to help me. God, I need you. God, only you can fix this. And that's what we saw there as well. Did you know there, how's my time? I'm all right. There are over 6,900 spoken languages in the world today recorded. Now, there are variations of those as well. And did you know linguists have discovered similarities in every one of these languages? They can find like that, that, that root vein that runs through all of them. And so in doing so, they created what is known as language families. And these original language families have actually been traced back to a single language, which is known even today, you can look it up, a Proto-Indo-European. That if you trace all the languages back, you can come back to one common language. Now, no one knows what that language was. It wasn't written. Nobody can speak it today. We don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's the language we'll speak in heaven. You know, maybe the language they had, that, that's what we'll speak in heaven when we're all together, the nations are gathered. But even to this day, even secular scholars and linguists today have come to the exact same conclusion that's written in the book of Genesis. You know what? There was one language at one time. And you know what must have happened? People must have gotten scattered. And as a result of being scattered, now there's a multitude of languages, but they've all kind of got that common thread running through them. In chapter 11, verse 4 that we read just a moment ago, notice what the, the people said. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top that reaches all the way to the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Friends, can I tell you this? The Tower of Babel represents the people's pride and arrogance. It's one big picture, one big building, one big representation of the pride and arrogance of man. Look at that. Let us. Let us build. Let, let us make a name for ourselves. Let not be the children of God that he's called us to be, but instead let us make a name for ourselves. And what they were saying is, we don't need God. We'll get so high, we'll be God. You know, it's been said in the beginning, God created man in his own image. 
And man's been returning the favor ever since. <laughs> We're constantly just creating God now in our image. We, we want to be God. But not only do we see the pride and arrogance, but ultimately, I believe this Tower of Babel represents the disobedience of the people. They said, listen, otherwise, if we don't do this, we're going to be scattered throughout all the earth. Now, why would they say that? Why would they? Because if you go back in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, it said, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, gave them this command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then in verse 7, just a few verses later, but you be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the entire earth and multiply on it. See, God had told them. He had given them direction. Here's what you're to do. Go, have families, have big families, and spread out. I want you over all this earth that I have created. I've given all of this to you. I've given you dominion over all the animals. Hey, listen, they need you. The world needs you. I, I, I want to circumference all the way around this puppy. And the people said, we don't want what God wants. I don't want to do what God has asked us to do. Instead, let us stay together. Let us be not who God wants us to be, but who we want to be. Well, friends, here's the question I close with. What towers are you building? What tower are you building? I mean, with all that, that, that representation of, of pride, of arrogance, of disobedience, not building the altar that God desires you to build, but the, the tower that you want for your life. What's your tower? You know, simply put for them, it was heaven on earth without God. That's what they wanted. They wanted earth to be just like they wanted it to be with no interference from God. You know, if we're not careful, we'll do that too. Everything we do, our, our, our career, our, our families, our, everything we do is all about what I desire, to make a name for myself in superseding what God has called for you to do. You know what I find fascinating about the Bible? The Word of God is both timeless and timely, is it not? I mean, what was happening then? Friends, is that not true of our world today? The mistakes that we see even out of righteous Noah, is it not the same mistakes that we make today? The question is, how will you respond? Whatever that tower is. You say, God, I, I want to walk away from that tower I'm building, and I want to get down on my knees before a holy God. God, I want to trust you. I want to trust you to make me the person that that you've called, that you've created me to be. Let's pray. Father, that is my prayer for each and every one of us, myself, God, and not only included, but first and foremost. God, we would not seek to, to be you. <laughs> but Father, every thought we have, every, every deed that we do, we would just want to please you. We would not chase selfish ambitions, but we would be a selfless people that desires to share and show the world the good news that lives inside of us. Father, for those here today who are chasing after the things of this world that, that seem so right and righteous to themselves right now, God, that you would open their eyes to, to see it for what it is and that we would seek you first and your kingdom ultimately. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.